Welcome to QTalks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. This episode was sponsored by DesignSpark, design tools and resources for engineers to help make their ideas happen. I'm Shreya. And I'm Thomas. And we're your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not the typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on QTalks, we are talking to Bruno Cotter, Executive Director at Cambridge Judge Business School's Entrepreneurship Centre, which is an active contributor to Cambridge's diverse and vibrant entrepreneurial community. It will be great to hear from Bruno how an entrepreneurship centre contributes to an ecosystem. And it will be great to hear what lessons he has learned from innovation policy and business that help his current role as the executive director. Hi, Bruno. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, We are delighted to have you here. And maybe to start off with, can you tell us a bit about your background? Uh, sure, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I guess if I think right back, uh, my parents came to the UK in the 1960s. Uh, my dad did engineering, mum did English language and literature, very different, and then went on to be a head teacher. So perhaps there's some educational drivers there that uh, have brought me to Cambridge. Mm. Um, I, I joined the Entrepreneurship Centre in January, so I've been here just a few months now. Um, Way back then, I studied kind of the standard stuff, I think, math, sciences, but also enjoyed art. So my original passion was to become an architect. Oh, wow. Um, But then I talked to lots of architects who told me that would take forever to actually qualify (laughs) and become an architect. So I kind of got put off and went to my second passion, which was electronics. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the way I ended up there was actually quite unusual again, today at least. Uh, and that was in a library. I just walked into a library one day. I remember picking up a book and it didn't have much theory in there about electronics at the time. This was in the you know, 1980s. Um, but it was very practical and it showed me how to build something. So I went off and built that. And, and then I got interested and built another thing and carried on from there. So so I guess that's where my engineering background has been driven from. Uh, partly from that and, and also another experience which sort of ties in with with. Uh, Cambridge today. Um, some some people might remember Clive Sinclair, Sir Clive Sinclair. Um, and my dad had bought, and I still have, uh, a Sinclair Cambridge calculator, which I think was released in 1973. So I was about two years old at the time. Uh, so I don't remember that far back. But, <laughs> um, but he kept that calculator, used, I used, used to see him working with it. And then about 10 years later, when I then actually went to school and carried on, you know, in education, um, he then took me to, I remember, uh, a store and bought a Sinclair ZX81. Wow. Which was uh, at that time kind of groundbreaking, you know, personal computer. Uh, I think you could even buy a kit form uh, that you would put together. But if you bought the whole thing, that was about £60 in those days. Mm-hmm. And the calculator 10 years before that was about half that price. Mm-hmm. Now, if you went into a store today and tried to buy a calculator for £30, you know, <laughs> people would really wonder why you're spending that much. And if you went and tried to buy the computer for £60, you'd probably be surprised as to what the prices really are. Um, so that struck me uh, in terms of, 
you know, how things were changing at, at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I went on to do electrical engineering. Um, I, I, I must admit, I have a confession to make. Um, I, I had an offer from Cambridge when I was about 17, because I was the youngest in my year, mm -hmm. um, to do engineering. This was Gonville and Keys. But I also had an offer from a company which was called Standard Telephone and Cables, STC. All right. UK company, very famous at the time for developing um, submarine systems, mm -hmm. uh, so long-haul telecommunications. Um, and they were quite close to where we were living at the time. And they offered me sponsorship. But they said, well, we don't want you to take a year off and come here, because that'd be far too expensive for us, even though Cambridge wanted me to do that. Um, we want you to start straight away, before you become an undergrad, and then join us afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, so I turned down Cambridge and went to Imperial. I, I was young. I didn't, I, I was very young. <laughs> <laughs> so I was joking with some of my colleagues now who, um, who I met before coming to the center, um, that uh, this, this is my second opportunity to not turn down Cambridge. So nice. I accepted the job and started in January. So delighted to be here. Um, and that, that's sort of my, my journey. I mean, in between um, engineering and, and coming to Cambridge, I spent a number of years uh, at Imperial College London as a member of staff. Mm -hmm. um, and prior to that, uh, in the telecoms industry. So I, I joined that company and then went on to several other firms working on design development of uh, telecommunications equipment and services. I have to say, Keys is in fact my college, so... Oh, God. <laughs> I hope I could probably go back there at some point soon, <laughs> if only to, re to, to remember some of the... Se the setting was amazing. I do remember staying overnight for an interview there. Uh, I was just 17, and uh, it was just an amazing place. But you never really quite absorb it when you're that age. It's only now that, in reflection, you, you see, you see the, uh, the beauty of the place and the amazing, you know... Uh, experience that, that I could have had perhaps. <laughs> But so, I'm here now. <laughs> so looking back, you said you sort of started work before joining Imperial. Do, how do you think that affected your view on business when you then went to do your studies in engineering? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, that, that issue of the cost of things, I think that's the appreciation of what things actually cost to make. So when you're a, you know, a young designer or engineer studying or even in, in a company as I was, um, you tend to just pick things up and build them. You, you, know, you do stuff. Mm. You don't generally think too much about the cost unless somebody's actually told you to think about the cost. Um, and I think that's the, probably the one thing that I took away from that experience is um, being put in that position in the company before I've actually been taught any theory or attended any lectures and been told, well, here's the budget for this. Be careful with it. Don't overspend. Make sure you buy, you know, uh, component parts and you design your, your, um, uh, your work using, you know, the most efficient way. You, you start to think in, in those terms. So I think that's, that for me, business at that stage was, you know, an amazing place to be in the future, but I was right in the middle of it before even being educated to, in, in engineering or, or training. So, so that, that was the main thing for me, is understanding the cost or the economics around the engineering problem. Mm. Mm. You already mentioned that Cambridge has finally succeeded in luring you back. Uh, and you are the executive director of the Dutch Business School's uh, Entrepreneurship Center. What does your job entail? Um, yeah, so uh, it, it sort of 
two things really. I guess operationally, I mean, I have a team of around 12 people. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're split across three areas that we focus on. Um, essentially our mission, which is firstly to deliver research and entrepreneurship. So understanding you know, the insights around the process, how that works, the behaviors of entrepreneurs and innovators. Um, the second is education, where we spend more of our time actually engaging with the university at large. And we have a number of programs uh, which are, are run to, to support that and encourage, if you like, the next generation of innovator entrepreneur. Um, and then the third group, which is probably the largest actually, um, are focused on delivering uh, practice. So venture creation and growth, the actual process of building up a venture from, from scratch. Um, so, so for me, that, that's the kind of day-to-day. -day. Um, but I also have three academic co-directors, two of which have joined, uh, I think, probably about six to eight months before I did. Mm -hmm. um, and they've come over from the US, which is also interesting because they bring with them a very different perspective to the UK. Um, and that's more strategic work. So that's about, I guess, increasing our reach and impact, um, in part through thinking about that type of research and entrepreneurship internationally. So they have lots of collaborators around the world, very different cultures and um, environments there to learn from. Um, engagement with our students here in Cambridge, uh, but also the societies. So that, that's how Shrey and I you know, uh, got to know each other in terms of QTech and other student societies which have self-formed and actually had quite a long history here in Cambridge from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big part of the, the role strategically. And then finally, I think going beyond what we classically think of as entrepreneurship as being that simple venture creation process. Mm -hmm. um, going further than that to say, well, how do companies scale? So we now have a program that looks precisely at that issue. Uh, again, a big challenge for the UK and, and, and Europe at large, maybe even in Cambridge. Um, and, and up to the point where companies are what I call at scale. So they've reached a sort of steady state. But of course, these days in business, steady state doesn't really mean anything. There's no such thing as business as usual anymore. Uh, so it's really trying to engage with those larger firms with their interest in, I guess, developing and experiencing entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so some good examples of that, we've just concluded some agreements with uh, both Santander, the bank and AstraZeneca, who are, of course have a big presence here in Cambridge over the next couple of years to do more things with, with those larger companies. Mm. So you've already touched on this, but what are, in your opinion are the key features of a well-functioning innovative society or innovation ecosystem? I guess there are several. Uh, the first one is talent. For me, um, in, in terms of skills, knowledge, the, the type of thing that an entrepreneurship center helps to develop. Um, the second might be tools, I guess, or what we might call technology. But I think tools is also a nice word to, to use because often if you haven't got access to those tools that you need to, to develop your talent or to express your skill, it's very difficult to, to be innovative. Um, so talent, tools, technology, um, ca capital in terms of finance, funding, uh, people who have money that are, you know, you can influence to, to help you build what you want to build. Um, and, and the last one, which is probably the one that's most difficult to put your finger on, is a sense of culture, I guess, dr driven by the environment. So to what extent does the environment in which you're working have the right conditions for you to, you know, apply your talent, uh, apply the tools you have, or develop new ones for, for perhaps, uh, as, as well as scale what you're trying to do, because that clearly requires investment. Um, so I think those four things come together in different ways um, to, to drive an ecosystem. I think some of the things that, from my perspective, that the Entrepreneurship Centre have done well are uh, developing that sense of sort of network and community between the members and also providing the support. So I guess that sort of feeds into what you're saying in, about the 
tools and resources to make that happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, tools and resources in terms of tracking what's going on and putting people in touch with each other, knowing, you know, profiling people and understanding who they are and what, what their skills are, what they need, for example. Um, but also culture. And I think that's something that certainly I've seen from a distance up until now in, in Cambridge. And there's a certain openness, a willingness to sort of collaborate to compete rather than necessarily compete with each other. And of course, there are many different uh, sources of support in Cambridge for entrepreneurs or, mm. or budding entrepreneurs um, or anyone wanting to do something innovative. So to some extent, we're at risk here of having so many different avenues that you can pursue and get help from that those are competing for your attention and competing with each other. But I don't get the sense that that's an issue here. I think we we benefit from um, a very open environment in mm. which everyone wants to be the best, but actually will help each other to be the best. And so there's a sense of collaboration implicit in that. Yeah. And I, I think that's very, very helpful. I, I'd like the Entrepreneurship Centre to be a very big part of that sort of network. You've already alluded to the very vibrant entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Cambridge. From your perspective, and we understand you've only been here for a short amount of time, but what do you see as some of the big challenges right now in Cambridge's ecosystem? Ooh, uh, big question. Um, I suppose something that I haven't seen uh, uh, yet is a focus on failure as opposed to success. Mm -hmm. um, this typically is something that you see in, in many instances where there's a you know, strong university setting, as I was in before, um, you know, a city that has, has developed very quickly and, and been successful in terms of creating new businesses and scaling larger ones. Um, but in terms of innovators and entrepreneurs themselves and how they grow uh, and mature, um, we still tend to look at success and talk about success. So we have lots of people who come in and, you know, tell students or others about their experiences. Some refer to their failures where they're willing and open about that. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think that's pretty fundamental. So wh wh wherever you are in the UK, in fact, I think there's a gap there mm -hmm. that um, the ecosystem, the people in the ecosystem actually would benefit a lot more and probably do very well by focusing on failure as something which is a, almost a precursor for success, particularly mm -hmm. if you're trying to do something new, um, and that attitude to failure. So, so for me, that's something that I keep seeing again and again. And if some way we can address that, uh, I, I'm sure we can do some amazing stuff but over and above what we are already doing. Mm -hmm. So if we now look at your background in innovation policy, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what you've done in that area. Okay, sure. Um, so there's been a mix of things. I mean, as I mentioned, um, quite early on, I was sort of in the business environment where I suppose you could summarize that and say, well, policy there tends to be around the pursuit of profit. You know, companies are there to, to create value, financial value very often if they have shareholders or even if they don't. Um, in, in the academic sense at Imperial and other, other universities I've worked with, you know, the, the mission is very clear. It's about the pursuit of knowledge. Mm -hmm. When you start thinking about public policy, and I've touched on some work there at various levels uh, in different um, regions, both UK and abroad, um, it tends to be a bit of both. So the pursuit of, if you like, economic and social returns. So that's the, the, the bigger challenge for, for public policy. So I think whether you're working in business or academia, as I've done in, in both cases, when you're asked by um, policymakers who have that public interest, um, the 
things are changing. Mm. I think they are beginning to realize, and also business and academia is beginning to realize that achieving impact is actually the the bottom line, if you like. If you're not creating impact of some description that's beneficial to everyone in the world, then you know, people are beginning to question, the younger generation are beginning to question, well, you know, why are businesses doing this, that or the other uh, and impacting the environment in a negative way, for example. Um, or universities are saying, well, we want to commercialize our research, but actually, is this to make money or is this to make a difference? Um, and that's slowly, I think, coming together in the sense that broadly society sees, um, you know, policies as being a, a useful tool, if they can get it right, uh, for policymakers to, to drive impact, mm -hmm. as opposed to just economic or social returns in themselves. Um, so making a difference in the world, I think, is, is slowly becoming clearer for everyone. Uh, and certainly that's been in my experience working with people in business, in academia, and then a mix of those two when you're working with government and other agencies. Mm. And which of the innovation policies you've observed in many different countries do you find most effective in creating the impact you just talked about? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think if I contrast what I see in the UK to what I've seen maybe over you know, a couple of decades in other countries, whether that's, um, my experience has mainly been you know, either US, Europe, uh, Middle East, Asia, that, that sort of brought broadly those geographies. Mm -hmm. What I do see missing here that you do see uh, at least being explored elsewhere maybe we can learn from um, that's that's more effective is where they've joined up the thinking right from entry level you know school children being less risk averse more entrepreneurial if you like all the way through to people who are perhaps close to retirement or even retired from from work but have a huge amount of experience that they can give back to the next generation not necessarily those school ch school children but all the other people in between mm -hmm. so i think where policy innovation policy and if you like entrepreneurship policy um, translates itself into a joined up approach from the very young all the way through to perhaps the very old or shall we say the very experienced mm -hmm. um, where you see that being addressed holistically I think th th those countries and, and regions and, and agencies will probably have the, the most success in making that big difference in society because everybody begins to realize that this is, you know, being innovative and entrepreneurial actually is something that everyone can do at some level. Mm -hmm. um, they're not necessarily going to be uh, building a huge company in their retirement and certainly you wouldn't be doing that when you're joining primary school. But your mindset Uh, is heavily influenced at that very young age. And of course, you have a huge amount of experience over many years that you can pass on to the next generation so that they don't necessarily make all the same mistakes that you did. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where failure comes in and the sort of resiliency. So I mm -hmm. think that kind of policy making um, is, is going to be the thing, the benchmark uh, overall. It's very difficult to find that anywhere in one place. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think those people that are thinking that way mm -hmm. um, Even here in the UK, I think there is plenty of opportunity to do that. I'm a governor at my daughter's primary school. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about that type of thing being the new curriculum, if you like. Mm -hmm. There's just so many, so many other things to, to address. The curriculum is very heavy already. Yes. So adding entrepreneurial mindset to that is quite tricky to imagine, but it can be done in simple ways. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we do tend to condition our kids before they even get to university to be very risk averse. I know that as a parent. Mm. Uh, so I think we ourselves are at risk of, um, if you like, educating out exactly the kind of skills that we 
precisely need uh, for people to then do st you know, great things later on in life. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of creativity and innovative capacity in uh, the younger generation. Mm. Uh, and as I mentioned in the, the much older generation, that I think we can capitalize on mm -hmm. uh, if, if, we, if we try. So to many people, business, academia and public policy may all sound like quite separate um, areas to work in. But like you've said, from your background, you've had a hand in sort of many of those areas. So what are some of the key skills that uh, link all of those for you? I guess because each of those areas of, of activity and, and the people involved with them have very different missions, as we, we mentioned, um, it might be just one thing. And if there was one thing, I think it would be empathy. So the ability to put yourselves in the other person's shoes, if you like, or see mm -hmm. it from their perspective. So in the case of business, you know, if you're working, if, if the university, for example, or our center is working with companies, we have to recognize how they see us as much as how we see them. Mm. Uh, and, and similarly, if you're in the other camp, if you're in academia, or indeed if you're in a government situation for, for them to try and do the same. So I think that's, that's the one skill that I, I would encourage anyone who's trying to work across those kind of mission boundaries, mm. which are often set by the institution and by the, 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 the context of where they're working, um, to, to focus on. So that cuts across all of the technicalities and the differences that you might think about and just think, well, am, am I being empathetic in this conversation, trying to build this partnership or trying to develop or run this program uh, or, or to reach some agreement on anything? Um, I found that that to be probably the, the, the single biggest thing that you could focus on yeah. and, and have some hope of getting right because we're all human um, and, and we, you know, we, we do rather well when, when, when we uh, apply empathy um, if, if we can figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. yeah. And finally, as part of the Cambridge ecosystem, what can you provide to people that are interested in getting involved in this space? Uh, well, we ha we have a number of programs and, and initiatives at the Entrepreneurship Centre. Uh, uh, there are many others around in, in Cambridge too. But I would say the first thing is just talk to someone. Uh, come come to the centre. We're at the Judge Business School mm -hmm. up on the fourth floor. Um, there's always somebody around uh, to have a chat to. Come talk to me. Um, once we've understood what your idea is, perhaps what you want to try and achieve, then maybe we can guide you to one or more of the programs that we, we support or indeed somewhere else in Cambridge where you might get uh, the kind of help that you need. And maybe to uh, finish or end up our podcast with a final question, uh, what have been some of the more memorable moments in your career in regards to entrepreneurship or innovation policy I guess the one thing that sticks in my mind, um, sort of relevant to what we just talked about in terms of those people that you work with that have a lot more experience than you do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I've always relied on having um, and benefited from having you know, a boss or, a, or a line manager, let's say, a leader in the organization who I report into, also being a, a mentor, a guide mm -hmm somebody that you can talk to, not just about work, but about generally, you know, life in general, perhaps, and, and have that sort of um, coaching and mentoring um, from, from them, as well as direction and, 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 and guidance on the job. Um, so the, the one thing that sticks in my mind um, over my career, I guess, would be when I was working on uh, a major project with my boss, it was just the two of us, we realized, and it was a very big client, um, We both suddenly realized, stopped ourselves, I guess, and realized that we're both here in the office. It's very late. Everybody else has gone. 
And I remember him turning to me and saying, Bruno, there's one thing that I've realized in my career, in his career to date, uh, that we only need to be smart enough not to be stupid. <laughs> so let's go home. <laughs> and so we did. Um, so I guess that, that s simple you know, uh, comment from him has just remained with me for years and years and years. So when, when I realized that I'm probably overdoing things or I'm pushing other people perhaps as, you know, harder than they, they should be pushed, um, as a leader myself, you have to be very conscious of that, I think, and say, you know, stop yourself and say, well, am I being smart enough not to be stupid? That That's probably all you can really achieve um and and just you know make keep life in perspective so so yeah we we, we went home and um came back the next day and carried on i think we did actually get that client in the end but um uh we, we did it in a sensible way so it's you know that that, that was uh, that was something that stuck in my mind a happy ending and great advice what a great combination <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on the show today no thank you it's been a pleasure thanks It was really interesting to have Bruno on the show today. Uh, one of the things I found particularly fascinating was his note about failure, which I think is quite fitting for Cambridge because many researchers are very used to failing as part of doing their research. Um, and it's also a very important trait for entrepreneurs and how we can encourage that more, both in entrepreneurs and perhaps researchers, but also at an early age, is certainly something worth thinking about. Something that I found interesting in our conversation were his experiences with innovation policy mm. and how we can apply that in a more business setting. Um, so that was definitely something new that I took away from that conversation. Thanks very much to Bruno again for joining us on Q Talks. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at QTech who have been working hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us about your experiences in applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks. Mm -hmm.